Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Cathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy Hello, everybody. In front of me and ready for your listening delight is Sarah Heusler, uh, founding director, OT principal at Bloom Wellbeing. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Very excited to hear more about your adventure so far. And you've um, got some really cool programs that we'll talk about as well in due course. Um, why private practice? Like, what was with that crazy decision many years ago? Uh, well, to be honest, I kind of fell into it. So uh-huh. <laughs> I know, right? Um, my my background in OT was fairly broad. Um, I started my career in vocational rehab. So when I first started uni, I had all these intentions of being a power OT in a business suit and bit of you know, a heel, and, maybe bit of a heel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, working in VOC rehab, and I did that for about seven years, and um. Yeah, I think it took me seven years to realize I hated it, that it was crushing my soul. <laughs> so I quit OT altogether um, and I went and studied journalism for a little while and became a journalism for a little while. And then I kind of found myself moving back into OT through a few different channels. Um, but it was after I had my children that I fell into pediatric OT. So having been through a few different areas mm. like hand therapy and physical rehab and mental health and, you know, all kinds of different fun experiences while I was traveling and moving around. Um, but after I had my children, I um, I was on maternity leave um, and I'd moved back interstate from, you know, where we were living in Queensland back home to Adelaide. So I didn't have any work. And I just happened to get offered a job by the children's centre that my children went to for childcare. They found out that I was an OT and they said, hey, we've got a backfill position for our OT who's on mat leave. Do you want to do you want to work for us? And I said, well, I've never worked in pediatrics before. And they went, oh, that's OK. You'll, you'll figure it out. So that's how I got into the peds. And this was just around about the time that the NDIS was starting in South Australia. So um, back in that was sort of the mid 2010s. We were obviously one of the um, locations that had the trial of NDIS and it was back when it was just children. So it was from working at that children's centre and meeting a few OTs that became my mentors at that time in paediatrics that I started to get a few referrals from them of um, paediatric OT clients from the NDIS. Um, And so that's how my practice started. So yes. I had been doing a little bit of kind of private work in other fields like soft tissue injury management and that kind of thing. But, yeah, this is really where it all sort of took off and the full practice started. What did you think it was going to be like back then? Um, 
Well, I guess when it started, it was a really great opportunity for me to have a lot of flexibility over the work that I was doing. I had two little babies. I had a you know, a three and a one-year-old at the time. So, you know, the ability to work one day a week and, and, you know, relatively good money, you know, as when you're thinking, you know, and you're seeing those NDIS rates for the very first time as a sole trader, um, you know, it was good because I had the opportunity to just work one day a week. And, you know, that was great. That was a really great opportunity. And, you know, i didn't really want to have to go back to work full time or even, you know, three or four days a week. I wanted to have that flexibility. So I think for me, that was probably as far as I was thinking, I was like, okay, this will be a great way for me to be able to get back into the workforce and be my own boss and have some flexibility and, you know, work my work life around my personal life. And then what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then growth happens, right? So Yeah, because that thing's happening all the time. Yes, I mean, obviously, NDIS exploded, right? Um, so we had lots of referrals coming through, and soon enough, I was working, yeah, three or four days a week anyway. Um, and at the time, I would still do a little bit of contract work here and there for other companies um, in the kind of pediatric space. And I was starting to see the way I didn't want to work, um, you know, working for other companies that had a little bit more of a numbers driven high high volume approach to therapy which was not my style at all I found that really draining and felt like I wasn't giving the best therapy services to you know my seventh client of a day on a five-hour Saturday shift so I didn't want to work that way so that's when I kind of decided to just go all in and and do my own work so yeah um and then probably the the kind of big turning point in building this into a full practice was starting our Well Girls program. So at the time, I had quite a few kind of preteen clients who were female, and uh, they all started talking to me about puberty and periods and being a little bit worried about that time in their life. And I just happened to have three or four of them at the same time. And I kind of thought to myself, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could get these girls together and just give all this information at once? because they would save me having to say it three times in a week. Um, And B, it would be a great opportunity for these young girls to meet some other girls who are on the spectrum like themselves and to make some friends. And that's kind of where the idea for the World Girls program that it was called at the time came from. So I just, yeah, sat down with my little notebook and pen and mapped out a little five-week program about puberty um, and all the things I wanted to teach and support these young girls to understand. Um, And, yeah, we got started. a call out to see who wanted to be part of it and it all kind of grew from there and I think that was about six years ago oh gosh so tell us about your team now like if I walked into lunch tomorrow or maybe next time in Adelaide who's there (laughs) who's in the building yes so we have a clinic space in Port Adelaide in Adelaide's western suburbs now Um, So I was running when I was working as a solo practitioner, I was working just mobile visiting kids at schools and kindies and things like that. Um, And we were running the program at like a local community centre and renting some other spaces from other other agencies and things. Um, But yeah, so it quickly became obvious that we needed to have our own space. So four years ago, I rented a little space in Port Adelaide. um, And now we are kind of bursting at the seams of that little space. But 
We do love it and we're happy to stay there for the time being. <laughs> so there's six of us, or there's six OTs in my team. Um, and I also have about three admin and business support people who kind of work a bit of a mix of part-time and full-time. Um, and also we have three OT assistants who are occupational therapy students who work for us casually and they support us in both the programs. Um, and also we have a couple of our student of our OT assistants who are fourth-year students who run their own caseloads as well. Yeah. So we're crammed in, um, but we're a pretty friendly bunch, so we get along well in a small space. <laughs> we'll talk about some of the programs shortly, but, um, you know, team, yay, congratulations. What what makes your team that little bit of extra special? Uh, I have a really... Have a really values-based approach to recruitment. So when I hire people, I'm really focused on their value system and the way they see the world and the way they want to work and show up as an OT. So, um, you know, a big believer that skills can be taught, but personality and values are something else. So my first three OTs that I hired, I was actually doing some work as a clinical educator for one of the universities here in Adelaide um, and did that role for about a year and a half part-time while I was had my practice before I opened the clinic. And they were three of my last students that I had on a nine-week placement, literally, you know, the, the quarter before I opened my practice. So as I was finishing up and they were finishing up, I spoke to them and said, hey, if you ever want to come and work for me, come and say hello. Um, because I had seen these three young women in practice, you know, in this nine-week placement, and I could see how exceptional they were. Um, and there's actually four of them. I only got three of them, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, within, within nine months, all three of them had come to work for me. And those three are now my kind of my senior team. So um, they're currently in that process of, yeah, like building their senior knowledge and supporting our newer grad um, staff as well. So, but they're pretty exceptional young women and they all have a really broad range of skills and they all have different strengths as well. So they all have different types of senior role in our practice. Um, and, you know, we've worked pretty closely with them to be able to develop them and look at the kind of career path they're after and being able to support them to have senior tasks tasks that work well with their strengths and what they want to do so yeah it's it's I think I've been really lucky in having that amazing little group of of staff right at the start who have been with me for the last almost four years now. Wow there's um, a lot of talk across the industry about graduate programs and so on and so forth and I'm sure you see all the comments in you know social media places as well I'm of the thinking that to do to really run a good, effective, measurable graduate program is a lot harder than most business owners think. Um, yes. It's so resource intensive. It's so planning intensive. But wow, it is just so critical, so critical to the industry to do well. What are, What are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I agree, and I think you know when it comes to graduates, it's got to be more than those first couple of weeks, right? You know, you hear yeah. sometimes they'll have a couple of weeks of intensive training and then they get boom straight into a big caseload. But we take um, we take a quite a different approach and we try to provide as much support for as long as possible. So we have, um, for our new grads who come on board, um, well, our whole team all together has a group supervision with all the clinical staff every week. 
So that's the first thing. We always meet up for a whole hour every week um, and we have a range of different supervision or PD topics in that time. Um, and then our new grads have weekly supervision with their one-to-one supervisor or mentor. Um, so they are having two solid hours of supervision every single week. Um, we also start them on a pretty low caseload. So we have an expectation that within their first six months, they'll build up to about 20 hours, billable hours a week for a full-time equivalent. So, which I think is pretty reasonable and I think it's a nice progression and we try to stagger those clients as they come on. So we try not to give them more than about two new clients a week in those early months. Um, and then we just keep offering lots of support and supervision. And I think because we are a, you know, a pretty small space as well, there's lots of opportunities for just, you know, coffee machine chat and discussion of different, you know, different clinical issues or, you know, by the way, I've got this client, I've tried this and it didn't quite work, you know, maybe you give me another idea. Um, and also our new grads, because we do run a lot of group programs, we have our new grads come in and assist our more experienced therapists in running group programs. So they get to see how the therapists work and, you know, interact with children and parents in, in that kind of manner as well. So we try to make ourselves really supportive for those new grads as much as possible. Um, whenever we can as well, what we've done in the past and it's worked really well is have them come in a few months before they graduate and start as OT assistants. So we've been able to do that a couple of times for two out of three of our most recent graduates, um, and that's worked really well. So they've been able to take on a few existing clients and get the lay of the land a little bit. Um, they have really solid supervision from their, from their OT supervisor at that time who helps write the initial programs and supports them through all their documentation and their clinical reasoning. So they spend three months working for us on that casual basis and they really get to know um, how we work as a practice and our values and the way we work and, you know, how they work and what their, their skills and what their, you know, learning needs are as well. So we can be really responsive to what they need before they actually start as a full-time OT. Yeah. So what I'm hearing um, here, Sarah, is infrastructure, what I would call infrastructure, like human resources and time and planning and scheduling and not just two or three weeks orientation and then weekly supervision and good luck, people, that there's a, <laughs> I think you just scoped out beautifully the size of the investment yeah, but and we for everyone to have fun and succeed. Yeah, and I mean, we so last year we took on um, two new graduates who have come on board with us this year, um, and one of them is actually she's actually been with us for three and a half years. So she was oh. our weekend receptionist while she was studying OT. So you know that's been that's been amazing seeing how she's settled into the team because yeah. she. When she started as an OT, she could just focus on her clinical skills because she already knew everyone who worked there. She already knew a lot of the clients. She knew all of our processes. She knew all of the little quirks and politics that go along with, you know, working in a new space. So she didn't have to learn any systems or computer programs or anything like that. She could just come in and purely focus on the job. So having seen how she's just managed to step into that role so well, you know, is such a great indication of just having an experience of a business and understanding how that 
space and culture works is really important because there's so much more to starting a job as an OT than just being a clinical OT. Like you've got to understand the place that you're working for and their values and their systems and and all that kind of thing. So any experience you can get leading up to it is brilliant, I think. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a bit about your role as the director. Oh, On a good day. Just, just we'll pick a good day. <laughs> well, I guess it's it's really interesting. So um I obviously am the sole director of the business and it's, you know, you had some rapid growth in the last four years, yeah. moving from just me as a sole practitioner to now having six OTs and a team of about 12 or 14, I think, altogether. Um so it's been a massive learning curve, learning to make that shift from being clinician to being, you know, business owner and being director. And I'm basically non-clinical now. I only have about one one or two clients a week or a fortnight at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also only there part-time because I also have a role as an academic at the University of Adelaide in their occupational therapy program, which I started about a year ago. So for the past year, I've only been in the clinic three days a week. Um, and that's been a really yeah, a really big learning experience. And I've had to have so much trust in my staff and especially those three more senior OTs who we've, you know, been building up their roles as being senior OTs. And, you know, while we're bringing on new staff and letting them have leadership parts of the business. So, yeah, it's been a very, (laughs) very challenging. Um, But, you know, I think I'm getting there. Uh, some days I think I am some days I think maybe I'm not um but yeah it's I've learned so much about how to run a business and how to be a leader of staff and I think you know I I feel like I'm moving more into that kind of figurehead role rather than being on the ground running everything and I've had to really take this last year as that moving between being the manager on site to being the leader of a team that manages itself almost. And that's pretty daunting to, mm-hmm. you know, kind of it feels like you're giving up so much control of your business to, you know, every day. But, um, you know, I'm really lucky that I've got a great team around me who have been able to support me in that. So what's that really like, that notion of giving over control and responsibility of your business baby here? Yeah, it's really interesting. I find myself kind of, flipping between feeling like, wow, this is a great opportunity to, you know, support, you know, have these young people in my team, have these leadership roles and take on this responsibility. And then on the other side, I'm like, oh, but what if they feel like I've just left them in the lurch and I'm not supportive enough and, you know, I'm not being there for them all the time. So, uh, yeah, it's a real exercise in kind of moderating my thinking and and having Mm -hmm. that trust and letting that trust play out. But that mind shift from, you know, business owner and full-time manager in clinic to being more of that leader and CEO type role who's not there on the ground every day um, has, yeah, been challenging. So, yes. (laughs) It's going to take time because it's really different from your occupational therapy days and you need a lot of systems in place and you need the right awesome people doing the right awesome things at the right awesome time or else you will be kind of coming back in on those days to put fires out and (laughs) just solve problems that could have been prevented and all the rest of it. I think um, 
Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a real challenge because especially because I'm only there part-time, my days are very tightly calendarized. So if something crops up that's a bit out of the ordinary, I really have to work hard to shuffle things around to fit in all the regular stuff I do around supervision and management and finance and bookkeeping and payroll and all those sorts of things. So, and I'm trying really hard to not work too many after hours, you know, hours. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to keep my business days, you know, into business hours, but Sometimes unexpected things happen. Like, for example, two weeks ago, we had our hot water service malfunction and our whole clinic flooded. So we were without clinic space for a couple of days. And, of course, it was a day that I was working at the uni, so I wasn't there on site to manage that. But, you know, I knew I had a team there who could manage that, and they did that beautifully. And even though I had to take lots of phone calls at uni that day, um, you know, I came back into the clinic the next day and everything was organised and managed and almost back on track within a day or two so yes yeah yeah I want to make a bit of a segue and it's not necessarily going to be smooth other than I can say (laughs) problem solving but you talk about creativity as one of your top values how does creativity just show up all over the place across your business uh, well, like I said, I've hired people who are very creative. So I've hired mm. people who I've seen that they have a value of creativity, but we foster that as well. So, you know, we always, we, a couple of years ago, we sat down and we really specifically went through what our values were as a business. And, um, you know, I think there was, might've been eight or nine of us at the time. And every single one of those people had creativity in their top five values, which I was really impressed with. It was the one value. We ended up with about six values and it was the one value that everyone came up with. So that's why we've kind of looked at it as our top value. And I think, you know, we are always talking about in our supervisions and our clinical supervisions and talking about client work, that we're looking at creative and innovative ways of building programs for young people. We're always looking at making our therapy and our programs specific to the young person that we're working with. So creativity is important there. So it's it's ingrained in what we do. Um, the other thing that I do is, you know, I talk to my staff about their creative pursuits as well. And um, we encourage, we you know, we obviously build a lot of, programs and you know different activities and things in the work that we do but I talk to people about what they want to do in their own careers and whether they have any little passion projects that they really like to work on as well so you know we kind of encourage them to work on those things or if they come up with a great idea where you know looking at how they can expand it into something else that can be more useful for everyone in the in the staff as well so yeah, it's. I think it's just always having it there top of mind, knowing that building individual therapy programs is a creative process. So it's kind of innate in everything that we do. Yeah. Do you think this is one of the secrets for why your team retention has been so strong? I like to hope so. I like to think it is. I think, you know, giving people opportunity to bring their own personality into the work that they do and to bring their own values and their own, you know, creative ideas into the work they do gives them the opportunity to try different things. And I think that's about, you know, giving people that trust and that chance to try something a little bit different. 
And I think OTs at our core, we're cre- like we're a creative profession. You know, that's what we do. We create new ways of doing things because other ways haven't worked. So, you know, I think the last thing I ever want is to be what I call a production line OT business. I don't want us to do the same thing for clients every day, day in, day out, because we want clients at the centre of what we do. We work in a very client-centred manner, so we have to be creative in that process and we have to have staff who are innovative and think a little bit differently and, you know, bring lots of different thought processes and understandings and trial and error into things. In the allied health business world, it's harder than you think to stay on top of everything you need to do to run a business whilst being fully present for your team and clients. If you struggle with this, you're not alone. Pretty much everybody feels this way. Some days you feel like you're crossing a decent task off just to be reminded that you then have three new tasks to take at their place. The to-do list feels like it never ends. It can be overwhelming doing it all on your own and that is why we took it upon ourselves to reach out to help you out. We have created our monthly masterclasses so that you can join and connect with others, learn bite-sized business skills and best of all, walk away from our masterclass with tasks ticked off your list. We can guarantee that each session will provide you with at the very least five gems that you can take and put into action right there and then. And trust us, as soon as you hop off our short and sweet session, you will want to take immediate action because that is the effect that Kathy Love and these masterclasses have. Each masterclass tackles a topic that has been niggling in the back of your mind and has moved further and further down your list. However, the sooner you nip this in the bud, the sooner you will free up your time and see the results in your business. Ready to nip your business woes in the bud and start taking practical action to maximize your results this year? Join one of our monthly masterclasses today. Sounds like all of that kind of key drivers for some of the programs that you have developed. The first program I personally want to hear a whole lot more about is the Puberty Plus program. Um, Yes. So Puberty Plus is something we have been working on for, yeah, about six years So like I mentioned before, it started with these three or four young girls that I was working with individually and um, I named it Well Girls and Well was an acronym for well-being, education, life skills and laughter, I think it was at the time. Um, (laughs) And it was a really interesting period as well, no pun intended there, Um, but it it was around the time that it was really starting the knowledge about autism in in girls and the differences between the diagnostics around autism in girls and boys. And there was that real drive to understand that, you know, females experience autism as well. So, you know, as I was working with these young people, I just was looking for resources to help them, to help them understand periods and menstruation and all the other challenges of puberty. And I really struggled to find much. And what I could find was, often international and it wasn't quite a good fit for the Australian market or what other resources I could find were quite um, quite geared towards people with cognitive dysfunction. So they were really simplistic social stories or um, picture books that were really quite, you know, lower level of literacy and understanding. Um, and these young women I was working with were amazing, highly intelligent young women who really had lots of questions mm-hmm. and wanted to know lots and um, but couldn't maybe necessarily access the mainstream resources due to the way they were written or the way they were marketed or the high levels of sarcasm or nuance in those texts. So I quickly became aware of a need for something a little bit different. 
and something that was able to support these young women to have really great factual, useful information and resources in, you know, a, presented in a way that was able to be accessed by them a lot better. So, yeah, so we ran that program. I think I think I said I planned it as about a five-week program and it turned out to be about a nine-week program because they just kept coming, asking to come back another week. Um, and so then we started running it um, each term. We ran a new program and it just grew by word of mouth. You know, we'd get people coming going, oh, my friend did this program and they said it was great. So, you know, I thought I'd come and do it as well. Um, and so, yeah, it was just starting to take off a little bit. And then what was happening was we were getting people going, okay, well, what can I do next? So the participants would come and do the program and they would love it. And they'd go, I want to do it again. <laughs> so, then we, <laughs> so then we started developing a program that we called. And by this stage, I think I, I had um, started to build my team around me and we had the space. So we developed um, a second part to the program, which we called Well Girls Next Level. Um, which was basically the next level of information and content. So um, the topics remained pretty similar. So the structure of the weeks in that we'd look at body changes and menstruation and feelings and friendships and frenemies, they'd sort of that structure would stay the same, but we'd go a little bit deeper and a little bit more complex into other information. So, and then we also built some social clubs around that so that we could have avenues where these young women who were coming and making friends in the program could continue on. And so those social clubs would generally be themed around something like we might have, you know, a term about cooking or a term about movement or a term about craft or art. Mm. So we try to, you know, provide different content each term. Um, so, yeah, so we kept getting the question, what can I do next? What can I do next? And then the other question we kept getting was, do you have a program for boys as well? Um, and we didn't at the time. And the reason for that was because we were an all, all woman staff at that time. Um, and so much of what we do in the program is, you know, that therapeutic use of self and we utilize our own experiences of being, you know, being a woman and going through puberty ourselves, we infuse that into the teachings that we do. So we, even though as a team, we knew we could provide the content, we could create the program for boys. Um, we didn't feel like we could authentically run it as an all-female staff to a boy cohort. So it wasn't until we hired our first male OT um, about three years ago that we transitioned that program over to create a boys version as well. Um, and we started running that and that's been quite popular as well. And then obviously over time, it just kept evolving. So we got to the point where um, we were producing big 120 page handbooks that we were having professionally um, designed and printed. And we realized very quickly that we would have to create three versions of that handbook if we wanted to run it as well girls and being boys. And then also we started calling our programs Puberty Plus because we started having this recognition that there's a really high rates of, um, you know, gender diversity in the autistic uh -huh, community. Uh -huh, so we wanted uh -huh. to make sure that our program was really respectful and was being, you know, catered to everyone that needed to come and come and do it. So um yeah, we we kind of rebranded again <laughs> and now we call those programs Puberty Plus. So we created one workbook, which is the Puberty Plus handbook, which we use for all of our programs, whether it be a specifically boys program or a specifically girls program 
or just our general gender inclusive puberty plus program um, and that gender inclusive program is open to anyone who wants to do it you know whether they are non-binary or whether they are cisgender or transgender or whatever they might be so um, and yeah that's worked out really well so and we found that the content really isn't that different to be honest. So the main difference in the content between when we run a boys or a girls program is that in the specifically girls program, we do two weeks on menstruation. Whereas in the boys program, we include the menstruation topics into two of our other weeks around body changes and hygiene. So it's a slightly shorter program. Wow. Sorry, I think I went on a little bit there. I tend to do that when I talk about this. That's okay. I I said I wanted to know. um, Such an awesome example of finding a niche and solving problems creatively. But then I'm just going to use the word commercialising it and making it available for more and more young people who want it. Yeah, well, we were getting emails from people everywhere um you know I remember getting emails from people OTs in the UK saying I've stumbled across your resources you know do you have more useful information I can provide to my clients so um you know we were getting that that question and even just locally in Adelaide like we're based in Port Adelaide which is in the western suburbs um and we'd be getting queries from people you know down south an hour away in Norlunga or an hour up north in the Barossa saying we really want to do your program but you're too far away from us so you know we tried to temper that a little bit by running one day intensives and school holidays in different locations which helped a little bit for those types of you know those groups of people who weren't living locally um but we soon realized we needed something a little bit more global and especially when the big C word came along, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, COVID, we, you know, kind of realised that was the perfect opportunity for us to create an online version of the program. So we do have an online version, which is a self-paced program. So we have, we translated all of our content from the program into an online program where we use the Kajabi platform for that. So um, people can, yeah, just purchase that program independently and run it self-paced. Um, when they purchase the program online, they can also purchase a physical copy of the handbook or we just have the downloads. If they just want to download and print stuff themselves from within the program, they can do that as well. Um, and, yeah, we found that people are purchasing it and using it in different ways. So sometimes people are purchasing it and, you know, the young people are just moving through it on their own, maybe with a little bit of parent help. Sometimes they're purchasing it and they're having a peer mentor or a support worker or their own OT run through it with them. Um, and sometimes they're purchasing it and they're um, having one of our OT assistants um, go through it with them online as well. So um, we've got a variety of ways that they can do that. And we found most people have been able to utilise their NDIS funding to cover the cost of the program as well. So that's been really beneficial in that they've been able to access it and use funding for that as well. Yeah. Have you licensed it for others to use? We have, yeah. So we, um, yeah, literally just last year, we spent a massive chunk of last year um, turning Puberty Plus into a licensed and registered program. So last year we started training other OTs from all across Australia in how to run this program um, and, you know, signing them up to like a, a as a registered facilitator. So, yeah, that was a big, another big learning curve in our business. What did you learn? 
Oh my gosh, yes. So even just the process of, you know, negotiating with lawyers about writing licensing agreements and just having Mm -hmm. an understanding of how long those processes take was really a big learning steep curve for me. I'm the sort of person that I kind of go, let's do this. And I I want it done now. Um, So, you know, having to kind of understand that sometimes things don't always happen straight away, Sarah, is a big learning experience for me. (laughs) Your lawyer Um, must have been very patient. Yes, yes, they were. (laughs) They were very, very helpful. Um, But yeah, it was, and, and, you know, the first cohort of people that we had on board were also amazingly patient as well, because it pressed out our timelines a little bit, but they were also patient and wonderful. And they were just really keen to, you know, to have the opportunity to kind of learn more about puberty in general. Um, Because I think a lot of the people that we trained in this program, you know, are also using it on a one-to-one basis as much as they are in a group program Mm -hmm. setting as well. Um, Because that's the beauty of the program is that you can, you know, get that handbook and that program and run it through one-to-one with participants as well. Because sometimes, you know, young people just you know, aren't ready for a group environment or they don't, you know, they don't fit as well into a group environment. They might have better learning style independently. So knowing that we can utilise and our registered facilitators can utilise those resources in a variety of ways is really important. Yeah. Oh, so, 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 so good. Uh, So I'm pretty convinced that you don't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) you got two really interesting uh interesting jobs and the business sounds amazing what uh what's going on with women's health ot australia oh yes that's so the next thing to do (laughs) so yeah i have for a long time probably since i had my own children um, and back in those early days when I was just pregnant, having babies, and I was working more in soft tissue occupational therapy, I started to get these inklings about, um, you know, the the challenges of pregnancy and childbirth and parenthood on women um, and all of these things that are sometimes unseen and unheard and, and go untreated. And I started thinking about the ways that OTs could support women through these various challenges um and yeah it just became like a real you know a real kind of interest area of mine I would spend hours googling and searching online trying to find you know OTs in women's health and was that a thing and does anyone do that um occupation of motherhood yeah, yeah, the occupation of motherhood. And, you know, it was really fascinating. There wasn't, I couldn't find much, you know, and but slowly over the years, I started to find, you know, practitioners from across the world who were doing some pioneering work in this space. Um, and people who were like me, who were also seeking, you know, more information about how OTs can work in this space as well. So over the time, you know, I have done some, like through my practice, there's always been a little element of women's health work that goes along with the, alongside the paediatric. Um, and it's been really exciting. And at times, you know, the paediatrics has taken over a lot because obviously there's huge demand for that area. Um, But I've always tried to keep this little element of women's health going, whether it be perinatal mental health or whether it be supporting the transition to motherhood or those sorts of things. Um, And so now um, I run a, well, I I have a Facebook page and an interest group for 
OTs who are interested in women's health. Um, and I have another colleague who um, helps me run those programs, who runs that group and also runs a monthly interest group meeting that we run. Um, and yeah, we have about, I think it's over 500 people in the Facebook Facebook group now. And our monthly Zoom call, we usually get about eight to 12 people each month to come and have a chat. And we look at different case studies and we have different topics of conversation. Um, and we're slowly starting to see more and more practices pop up around the country of OTs, mostly sole traders and mostly, you know, OTs who have become mothers themselves and have come to this realisation that there's work we can do in this space and there's good that we can do in this space and they're opening up all these businesses and, you know, supporting women through this process of transitioning into motherhood and this concept of matrescence, which is just really, really, really exciting. And what's really exciting is we're going to have quite a few of us at the conference this year. So we've got a few posters and quite a few of us from the interest group are going to come to the conference and hopefully have an in-person meetup for the first time, which is exciting. Oh, well, well, well deserved. What would you like to see happen with that cohort and with that niche within OT? Like dream big for a moment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's so much scope for us to work in this field. I mean, when we look at the concept of women's health in general, like it's exploded over the past few decades, you know, and we obviously, you know, we've come from this very patriarchal model of health and well-being, and there's a lot to be learned about women's health and how we support women, um, you know. So from an OT perspective, we're kind of riding on the coattails of that a little bit. So there's a lot to do. But, um, you know, we've had some really pioneering academics in this field, um, like Dr. Hannah Sluches, who's written her PhD. Um, my my the, my friend who helps me run the program, Janelle Gullen, she has a practice in this. Um, and I know there's things like textbooks on the way. Um, and I would really love to see it being placed into the OT curriculum a little bit more. Um, I'd really like to have, you know, more research and more texts around this um, and just to have that real awareness of what we can do in this space. Yeah, yeah, I am absolutely with you. It's Is it surprising? It's probably not all that surprising while this is one of the slower emerging fields. But, I mean, we're such a female-based profession. I know, right? Aren't we? Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> It's on. But, you know, historically, or I guess anecdotally speaking, mums are always, you know, mums always put themselves last, don't we? You know, we have that tendency to do that. And, you know, we do sometimes put our children's health and well-being as a priority over our own or sometimes at the expense of our own. So it's probably unsurprising that as a profession, that's where we're finding ourselves as well. So, um, but I think, you know, I think what I've really learned from this NDIS space and the explosion in the demand for paediatric services is because there's funding for those services now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the cost of living at the moment especially, it's really hard to access services if you can't afford to pay for them. So if there's not public funding available for you to access the support that you need, then you have to self-fund it. And if you don't have the finances, then you make decisions about what, what you can put up with, you know, what you can manage on your own and what kind of support you can do without. So when you talk about big picture, what I'd love to see, I'd love to see some, you know, 
great Medicare rebates for, you know, maternal health and well-being, mm-hmm. so that we can have, you know, early intervention supports put in place for motherhood in those early days and months and years of motherhood. Um, and pregnancy and through that. And that goes not just for OT, but even for like women's health physiotherapy or, you know, those kinds of, you know, areas of need as well. Yeah. What else are you looking forward to in the next, let's just give it 12 months? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, what I'm really looking forward to in the next um, few months is the OT conference. So I'm actually presenting about our Puberty Plus program at the OT conference in June. And Janelle and I, who runs the OT Facebook group with me, we have an e-poster, a spotlight e-poster about women's maternal health in a post-COVID world. And there's also a range of other posters from different members of the group focusing on more women's health, um, women's health kind of topics. So that's really exciting. Um, Also, in the next few months, um, I'm going to be running my children and families program at the university, at Adelaide University. So my colleague and I who job share that role have been developing, um, you know, a big double unit curriculum for children and families, which we're now starting to teach, which is really exciting. So this is the first time we're teaching this curriculum that we've built. Um, And I'm really excited about having you know, a paediatric curriculum for third-year OT students. And my hope is that they can go out into the work workspace um, and be job ready, you know, to be a lot more prepared about going into the workforce as a paediatric OT or going into their fourth-year placements in paediatrics with a lot more of a solid understanding of what paediatric OT is and how it works. So that's a really exciting part of my job from an academic perspective as well. Um, and we've also got some other things happening around the Puberty Plus program. We're doing a scoping review and we're hoping to have an honours student program. So, oh, my gosh, there's so much happening. You're going to need more time in the year. You're going to need more than a year. I know. I think I just need to clone myself potentially. More careful what you wish for. <laughs> no, I know, <laughs> no. <laughs> but like I said, I've got an amazing team around me and, you know, to be honest, they do the bulk of this work. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to do an ounce of the work that we put out without the team that I have around me because I think I have really great ideas, but I'm not always brilliant at following them through. So I've I've been very um very purposely driven to hire a team that has those efficiencies that I don't have. Good implementers. <laughs> yes, definitely. So from one business owner to everybody who's listening, what are your kind of parting parting thoughts? Allied health business owners? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, You know, I think you have to find the right people. That's number one. You have to have a team that you value, that you trust, um, and that you know have great sets of skills. And like I just said, have those skills that you don't necessarily have. You know, sometimes we can get tempted to hire people who are just like us, um, but it's really important to make sure you're hiring based on what you need in a team. So that's one thing. And like I said, I have a very values-based approach to recruitment as well. So knowing what your company values are and making sure that everyone in your team and your company knows those values and there's an expectation that they adhere to these values in the practice is really important. Um, So that's number one, making sure you've got the right team around you, making sure you've got a team that you can trust and that know their jobs and and are given the freedom and the trust to do those jobs well is really important. Um, 
you know, chase those little, chase those little ideas. Like I said, mm-hmm. that whole puberty plus program came from that one thought of, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? And, you know, if you'd have told me 10 years ago that I'd be running this program about puberty, I would have just laughed. It was never on my agenda, but it was, you know, something that came up and it was something that as I was working through, I just realized there wasn't enough information around and it's a real area of need. And it can, there's something here that we can create something that can really help people. So, you know, finding those little um, niches that are underserviced um, that you can, you know, bring to life is really important. And I think on that is about, you know, having the focus to see things through. Like I said, I'm not great at following through on things sometimes. So having a team that helps me to move things through um, is really important because I could easily kind of get sidetracked and start on something else new here and there. But, you know, having that commitment to push things through the hard parts and invest in things that you know are going to be really useful and worthwhile and keep plugging away is is something to be something to be really proud of as well. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for coming in. I have just um, hung on every hung on every word. Absolutely amazing to hear your story. And thank you, thank you, thanks for having me. And yeah, I am. Um, I love hearing all the stories that you have of other people in the program. So it's an honor to be here. Now you're one of them. So all good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.